What are you looking at, sugar tits? <laughs> Can that actually genuinely be the intro? It is now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Axel Ridge. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And just like Hacksaw Ridge, we are based on an incredible true story. <laughs> an incredibly boring true story. <laughs> yeah, hey, but that we, one's we, probably the most accurate one there's ever been. We went to school together. We, that's the true story. That's the true yeah. story behind the podcast. And it's incredible that none of us have been shot yet by one of, <laughs> one of the rest of us. So yeah, if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There'll also be a whole host of hilarious shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some terrible impressions, a biffy xylophone playing section, and I don't know what else we do. We do loads of stuff. It's hilarious anyway. Uh, (laughs) If I do say so myself. If I do say so myself. Uh, Also, if you've never heard this show before, um, it's going to be particularly spoilerific this episode. So if you haven't listened or watched Hacksaw Ridge before, you can either skip to our quiz or just come back to it at a later date. But before we move on to the bulk of the show, we're going to go around and do a little bit of news. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, all right, I'm going to do something special here. I know I just said xylophone playing. It threw me off a little bit. But hang on. <laughs> I want you to do some... Uh, just because it's a war film, I thought, better use the appropriate musical instrument for the job. So hang on. So you got Toy a, a tiny plastic saxophone. <laughs> the, the, listen, the listeners don't know that man. <laughs> you just put so much effort into all of it. It's, it's quite lackluster, though, is, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. It's, just, it's his eyes when he's doing. Oh. Man, what? What's wrong with that? No, it was lovely. It was really, really lovely. Uh, yeah. Right, okay, well, uh, for, for all wow. those listeners, I brought a special musical instrument along with me tonight. Uh, 99p from the pound truck. <laughs> I wish it was 99p. Unfortunately, it cost me a hell of a lot more than that, which is very upsetting. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, I didn't know what the theme from Hacksaw Ridge was. I, hasn't, I haven't seen it, so I thought I'd just do a bit of bugle in there. But I didn't have a bugle. What I did have was a children's saxophone, which I decided to play. Anyway, getting off topic, we all go around in a circle here, and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So without further hesitation, I believe... Your good self, Alex, has got a bit of news for us. Yes, uh, they're doing a Charlie's Angels reboot. How does everyone feel about that? Feel like it's time for a Charlie's Angels reboot? There's a lot of just blank looks. I don't think I can handle it. No. (laughs) Oh, Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Very nice. Um, I I actually think it'll be really good, to be honest. I think it's about time. It's been long enough since the last film. I really liked the... And I mean, I'm not genuinely... I really liked the first Charlie's Angels film with Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore. (laughs) Sam Rockwell. To be fair, it absolutely doesn't surprise me, knowing some of the films that you've really liked. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't remember it being particularly bad. No, it's good. I remember the second one not being great, though. That is particularly bad. And and, wait, hang on. So in the second one... Um, they, they replaced Bill Murray with Bernie Mac, yes, didn't they? Yeah. Right now, so the changing a character halfway through with a different actor—that's fine. It happens in loads of films. But is there a bit where the this they Bill link. Murray's yeah. face or like a, his picture like on his a mantelpiece? Is his adopted brother? Oh, is he? Oh, I could, yeah, because yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know if it was the same because he's playing the same character, isn't yeah. he? But it's, it's his brother. It's an incredibly poor film. The second one, but the first one was good. I don't know. It, it could be good. The only thing that like puts me off a re- reboot is they've got Kristen Stewart being in it and i don't know maybe she'll surprise me and she'll be 
No, I, I just can't think, help thinking of her as like, just like a bit of a stroppy teenager, is how I see her. As Twilight, a, basically. Yeah, yeah Twilight. Yeah, she, she might be really, really surprised you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually glad that it's the rebooting a, a series or their film that was was uh, about about women because i think what's happening at the moment which i actually i actually like but it's getting a lot of flack is rebooting franchises um starring women that or went originally the male roles, like yeah. so uh, yeah, yeah. ghost ghostbusters and oceans eight or whatever uh, and so it annoys me because i'm thinking why can't we just create new films mm. starring women it's, why do we have to try and piggyback off franchises uh, but I also understand that it's sort of maybe like a stepping block in the way of that. So eventually that will happen and, you know, great films will be written with all female casts or with predominantly female casts. But, you know, for the time being, we've, that's something that, that's got to happen. But I think Charlie's Angels is definitely a good one to bring back because it was always about well, I, females. I never watched the original series, to be honest. Was it a good... I mean, yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was, it was like that sort of era, you know, like sort of Knight Rider and Magnum PI, it was yeah. always a bit sort of shit. cheesy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say shit, but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great, but back then it was acceptable. I mean, yeah. obviously TV's advanced a hell of a lot since then. And if you go back and watch an episode of Magnum PI or Charlie's Angels, it's always going to be a little bit cringy. But at the time, it was it was great. And I think that's what they did with the remake, the original remake. Is they kept a little bit of that sort of yeah, campiness, flavor. didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if they do that or if they go off in a, as you like to say, darker direction. You love right. darker films, don't you? Oh, everything's darker. They can't make Charlie's Angels dark. And, well, <laughs> dark, damn dark. Dark Charlie's Angels. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Joel, I believe you have got some news for us this week as well. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, Arnie has started filming Terminator 6. So I personally kind of wish he was still the governor of California, to be honest, <laughs> and that he had, uh, and that he was still retired from films. Um, the past Terminators have been terrible, and Terminator is just such a good example of how to piggyback off a successful kind of iconic franchise and just turn it into a pile of dog shit, basically. <laughs> Don't mince your words, mate. Tell us what you <laughs> tell us what you really think. So, uh, how, how are you feeling about this, Dave? Because you're quite a fan of the first two Terminators, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about where it stops. You're quite right. Uh, the ones since then have, have been terrible. I don't mind Arnie acting. I don't mind him still getting work, but he should leave the old things be. He should leave. He, you know, he shouldn't go back to Predator. I don't think he shouldn't go back to Terminator by any means. It just doesn't make sense. It's like you know, I understand them making him a robot back in the day because it's like, oh yeah, yeah, he's very statuesque. You know, if you're making a robot and putting skin on him, I look might look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. You wouldn't make a robot to look like him now. Yeah, no, no way in hell. <laughs> like Gav, you're a massive Arnie fan, right? Yes. Yeah, just need you to say that on air. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then, like, do you want to see him in more films now, or do you think it, has he had his time? I I don't see why he can't still appear in films, but I think yeah, as you said, like maybe the Terminator films or Predator films. I think maybe it's time for a younger cast. And as you said, it may surprise you. Maybe he's not playing a Terminator. Maybe he's playing a different role. I remember when they were talking about Terminator 3 or the fourth one, I can't remember, that they were thinking about bringing him back, but in a different role. It's like the scientist who designed the Terminator. And maybe I thought that would be quite it's interesting. not actually an action film. And these Terminators aren't Terminators anymore. And they're just kind of house robots. And he just goes about doing 
Just daily, daily tasks sort of, like yeah. cooking, cleaning. That would be great. Um, he's like a butler, a really well mannered one, and <laughs> looking after children. Yeah, looking and after children. He could children. Like, tie in all of the Family. other Arnie films. Yeah, yeah. Family like drama, Kindergarten yeah. Cop, and yeah. it, you know, it's, it's just... like Mrs. Doubtfire, but starring the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be great, to be honest. Uh, and uh, so, finally, just with the news, and uh, the news today has come out that uh, Mark Hamill is actually going to be shooting some scenes for the new Star Wars film. It's been reported that Kai Fisher will also be appearing in the film. Uh, they're going to use a lot of the deleted scenes from The Force Awakens. And to add to the cast, they've got a returning Billy D. Williams. So, Dave, firstly, I know that you're a big Billy D. Williams fan. What do you think <laughs> about the return of Billy D. Williams? To I, I'm made Rogers? up. I don't know why they didn't go knocking on his door before now, to be perfectly honest with you. It's about time they got Billy D. Williams back. I mean, let's face it, he wasn't doing anything. You know, why not get Billy D. Williams back in Star Wars? It'd be great, especially since, through no fault of their own, they've lost quite a few of the original cast. Who, who is Billy D. Williams? Lando Calrissian. Sorry, I just... Alex! You kept saying his name and I just didn't know what the hell you were talking about. Oh, Lando Calrissian, he also played the original Two-Face. Yeah. But before he became Two-Face, he was Harvey Dent in the oh, yeah. Tim right. Burton Batman film. Oh, cool. And he was in Nighthawks. Great film if you haven't seen it. So, Joel, you are a massive Star Wars fan, but you also hated The Last Jedi. How do you feel about Mark Hamill returning for the next one? Well, I, do, I just mentioned to Alex then, wouldn't it be great if at the start, Luke just kind of, he's in his bed and he just kind of like violently shakes <laughs> awake and, 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 and Ray's just landed and the whole other film was just, it was just a bad dream. Um, and to be honest, with the directing situation there, the fact that they obviously haven't collaborated at all, I think it would be quite funny if, uh, if he did that. <laughs> okay. wipe the slate clean yeah. so fingers, fingers crossed okay so thank you very much for that guys Alex I think it's time for a bit of film feels it is thank you so this week it's Hacksaw Ridge war film favourite war films uh, to start things off my favourite one is Paths of Glory Stanley Kubrick one with Kirk Douglas or maybe an older one All Quiet on the Western Front oh, oh, okay. very good so, very good films so if you had to pick between the two of them uh Paths of Glory. That's just one of the best films. It's it's like it's an amazing war film. It's just an amazing film in its own. It's right. also an amazing anti-war film as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which I think is the best. I mean, I, I don't the like the best type of war films are very good. I don't find. Oh, uh, and will we be finding out more about that shortly? Yes. <laughs> okay, Joel. What's your favorite? Uh, well, well, it's it's forever been not only my favorite war film, but probably my favorite film, and just because of how much it affected me. And that's uh, Saving Private Ryan. Just think the thirty, the first thirty minutes. You know, as a kid, I'd seen many kind of uh, graphic films, but the first kind of thirty minutes with the uh, Omaha Beach sequence, I just remember feeling like you know physically ill watching it, yeah. which is quite kind of like a an achievement for me. Apart from when it's not obviously like a horror film, uh, because we've kind of become a little bit desensitized yeah. to I think violence. Uh, but that just kind of knowing that it was real and that it took place and people actually went through all that stuff. Uh, just kind of made it, you know, even more special, yeah. I think. Yeah, well, I, I remember there was, there was a screening of Saving Private Ryan and they did it for a lot of veterans and they said it was yeah. the most realistic war film that they'd ever seen and it was like they were transported back to that day. Yeah. Uh, so has anybody picked anything other than Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> Um, well, serious answer. <laughs> serious answer. I do like Paths of Glory. I think Alex is absolutely right. It is the best anti-war movie ever made. Uh, a bit of a jokey answer, and it's just a film I love. Where Eagles Dare. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's been your answer in a few. Of these I, ones. I do, love, do love, love Where Eagles Dare. I really do. It's, it's it's great fun. It's not a war film to be taken seriously. It's essentially like back in the fifties and sixties, they could make adventure films yeah. and have them in a war setting. Yeah, I yeah. think that that would be seen as tasteless these days.
days, but back in the sixties, they were the, actually just the, fun films. The violent, like the violence in it as well, is quite kind of it's camp. Not, it's yeah, very yeah, camp. It's, it's camp. Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton mowing down Nazis. Yeah. In a when, when you said not serious, I thought you were literally going to say Tropic Thunder. Ozzy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have, so, um, have you seen a war film? I have. So, well, I don't know whether you count it as a war film, but I was going to say The Pianist. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's one of my favourite films actually, and I'd forgotten all about it until uh, you mentioned. <laughs> being war film and I was thinking wartime film quick quick yeah, quick yeah. quick quick yeah, so, yeah well, take, take it back Joel yeah, right? take it back whatever you just said about us <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's or Starship good. Troopers maybe <laughs> See, I, 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 like since all, like I, I'm still trying to figure out what your film taste is and you just like keep you, like, it's the pianist and it's Incredibles 2 and it's like, <laughs> Starship Troopers I just cannot get my head around it oh, come on let's not remind him about Incredibles oh, yeah, 2 it's so. <laughs> so probably yeah, The Great Escape to be honest yeah. I really mm. really enjoy The Great Escape and every time it's, it's on daft your... but fun isn't it yeah yeah definitely it is like daft but fun definitely and thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be thinking about that every time I watch it now like, it's a great film but yeah it is daft isn't it yeah. <laughs> especially that bit when he gets on the bus at the end and he says thank you and he's like you're welcome it's like oh, oh shit. shit you got me there big time <laughs> okay just before we move on guys can anybody smell that I thought we'd escaped it for this fucking week, to be honest. (laughs) Unfortunately, you haven't. But you have escaped seeing a lot of The Rock for the next few years because he's officially ruled himself out of running for president in 2020. Oh, I don't believe that. That's what all of them do. Yeah, but he's... uh, (laughs) That that means, that makes me believe. Anyone who's saying, because why the hell is Dwayne Johnson (laughs) saying I'm not running for president? (laughs) That means that it's clearly, that's what they do. Well, I think what it is is that he's got so many films coming up and at the moment, he's managed to hide himself from <laughs> any too, controversial he, political beliefs. Are you saying he's so too he's busy got, to be president? At the t- essentially, yeah, yeah. He's got too many films and he's going to make too much money. This is my... I've just read into this a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Is that He's right down the middle, isn't he? Like, I'm sure diehard conservatives love him. You know, liberals love him. He's just a nice guy. Well, Jesus. The second, if, if the second he picks it, somebody yeah. to run for... That's half of his audience gone, isn't it? I tell you yeah, what, if, if so. the box office tells me anything, if he gets Kevin Hart as his running mate, this, <laughs> is, this is a done deal. No, no, Jesus. I, I really, I really, really want him to just be president, just for the fact that you can say, like, two presidents in a row have received the Stone Cold Stunner from Steve Austin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, thank you very much for your news, guys. Um, just to say as well that the last film that we put on trial was uh, The Greatest Showman, and... Oh, yeah. Ozzy, you were the judge for that, weren't you? I was the judge. And you have since seen it. Have you decided whether or not you made the right call in placing it on the hit list? I think I did. Yeah, I did. I, I could see everyone's... Uh, I could see the upset, you know, things. And not. I didn't know anything about him until the uh, the trial. So I think if I'd have not known going into it as well, I still would have thought it was a hit. Okay. Um, it was quite enjoyable, yeah. It was very entertaining. Music was good. Good stuff. So yeah, I enjoyed it. On the right list. Right list. I'm pleased to hear that. Pleased to hear that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for rallying me up here. <laughs> I just would, would like to add that everybody in this room has been playing a game that they've just invented called Gavaroo. <laughs> Whereas they've just slowly been annoying me throughout the course of the afternoon to the point where it feels like a game of Buckaroo where they've just been piling shit on me. Uh, it's, it's the last person until he snaps. <laughs> they win, I think. They win. It's the they opposite win, yeah. of Buckaroo. Yeah. Okay, right. So... Um, 
yeah, right. Get let come on, let's get back on track. So if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. Simple as that. Uh, the films are picked out of the hat at random, and this week is Hacksaw Ridge. I will say that they're usually picked out of random, but Joel, our good friend, has actually suggested this film to be put on trial. So he is going to be playing the role of the defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list. All of the rest of the roles that have been randomized. So in the role of prosecution and trying to get the film placed on the shit list is going to be Brucey. And <laughs> yeah, so they've started the taunts already, to be honest. In the roles of character witnesses are going to be Austin and Dave, and they're going to be lending their genuine opinion about the film, trying to throw a bit of weight behind either side of the argument. And then in the role of judge is going to be me, and my job is to listen to the arguments and decide whether the film should be placed on the hit or shit list based solely on the arguments put to me and not using my own opinion. So I think we should give the listeners a bit of an idea as to what the film is about and spin that wheel of impressions. Okay, it's landed on Joel. Right, now Joel is going to read out the synopsis in the film in a particular type of accent or impression. Guys, any idea? Ooh. Well, I suppose just a... Vince Vaughn? Oh, maybe? Vince Vaughn. A big yeah, drill, yeah, drill, drill sergeant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just generic drill sergeant. G- generic drill sergeant. Okay, you've got the synopsis there, Joel. Yep, good to go. American Army medic Desmond T. Doss, who served during the Battle of Okinawa, refuses to kill people and become the first man in American history to receive the Medal of Honor without firing a shot. Mm, very nice. Right, okay, nice. yeah. Stick very to good. attention. Maggot! <laughs> you fucking maggots! <laughs> okay, uh, so, right, I am going to be playing the, the judge in this one, and I will just say that I am going to be placing uh, i'm going to be playing this buzzer you're going to be placing it on the- <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to be I, mean, I don't even have to listen it's going directly no i'm going guys i'm going to be playing this that is my Mel Gibson alarm. What? what? Wait, what? Why? Does that mean he's coming into the house? <laughs> <laughs> no. Next, I'm talking about. <laughs> now, I, w- I will say that Mel Gibson is on trial here, although he probably should be. No, uh, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Everything, uh, right, uh, everything Mel Gibson is off the table. This is just about everything. Mel Gibson is the director. I, no, 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 just no, his no, 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 no. Right, you can no. talk about you, the direction. You get that buzzing finger ready because right, okay. I'm talking about Mel you can Gibson. Talk, you can talk about him, but if it gets too much, I'm going to play play the buzzer. So. The, just a reminder that his the whole defense f- is based on Mel Gibson. No, no, no. What I'm saying, the film and Mel Gibson's directing are on trial. Yes. Mel Gibson's shenanigans. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's the lightest word I've ever heard. <laughs> Whether or not Mel Gibson is a giant asshole okay. or not okay. is not on trial. Yeah, no, cool. no, okay, okay, cool. Right. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Even if, if, I, even if, if we all believe that, <laughs> I'm not even going to answer Hypothetically, that. Hypothetically, we all thought. Right, let, let's move on from Mel Gibson, all fucking ready. <laughs> okay, so let's kickstart things. Joel, as the defense, would you like to kick things off, please? Yep, so I just want to talk a little bit really about why the film was originally made. So I think sometimes war films can be seen as like pro war um, and, you know, glorifying war and that type of thing. And Uh, This film was made really because it's a story that not many people know about. So Okinawa, where the film takes place, was uh, kind of like the last place the Japanese really had to defend before their homeland was was open to attack. So because of that, they'd they'd obviously been there for years. Every inch of the island was, you know, absolutely mapped out, fortified in the best way possible. They had like tunnels, booby traps, uh, and they, they even had civilians kind of working for them. So the Allied invasion of Okinawa was actually bigger than D Day. Um, and key to the victory was uh, the Major Escarpment, which was nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge. And it was so 
heavily fortified that it was thought to be nearly impossible to take. Machine gun fire was that thick that reports of men being decapitated and literally shot in half. Uh, Platoons of, you know, 30 or more men would come back daily with four or five. And Desmond, a religious man, refused to kill people and carry a weapon. And one night he helped around 75 people down from the ridge, sorry, averaging a man every 10 minutes. He shielded his squad from a grenade blast and his bravery went so far that Gibson actually cut some of it from the movie for fears that it wouldn't be believable. So if you just kind of picture all that together, you know, the the level of bravery is absolutely astounding and it's really an inspirational story and it's one that needed to be told. So, um, you know, the, the kind of reasons behind making the, the movie and uh, the story being told are absolutely something that should be shared and, you know, people that... Uh, are watching it now and maybe in you know 50 100 years will will still be inspired by this story uh, another point that i want to talk about is the historical accuracy of the film so just going to start off with a quote from desmond jr uh, his son and he says i grew up in a house where there was an endless stream of people coming through the door wanting to make a movie write a book etc and the reason he declined is that none of them adhered to his one requirement and that it be accurate I find it remarkable the level of accuracy in adhering to the principle of the story in this movie. And producer David Permit stated that the filmmakers took great care in maintaining the integrity of the story since uh, Doss was very religious. There are some kind of minor changes in the in the film. The character of Smitty, uh, who is Luke Brace in the film, he's kind of like an amalg- amalgamation of various soldiers, so... Uh, Desmond was kind of taunted because the fact that he refused to take part in rifle training and weapons training, he was taunted, regularly beated, all that type of thing. So rather than having like a whole group, uh, they kind of uh, put it into this one character and that was basically created for for narrative reasons. Uh, There are a few other small kind of uh, details which don't really kind of alter the story at all. Uh, And if anything, the, the movie's kind of second half actually underplays the heroism uh, so, kind of another big uh, plus point about this film is actually a strange one, but it's it's the religious side of it. So this film was very very popular uh, with the religious sector, and that is basically because uh, Mel Gibson does a really powerful job of this, just I- illustrating the power of religion. It's basically Desmond's faith which drives him, uh, you know, to not only uh, do the incredible acts that that he carries out, but also. Uh, avoid killing anybody um so that in the film they obviously climb the uh, cargo net to get to the top of the escarpment and uh, what the film doesn't tell you is that desmond actually volunteers to to go up there and secure the cargo net and there's this picture of him online kind of standing at the top of it and the photographer that took the picture actually refuses to go any closer because of the ferocity of the fighting and they're, they're always told uh, not to silhouette themselves on the ridge because the machine gun's fire is that f- thick, you know, that they'll get hit. And yet he's just stood there and he isn't hit at all. Uh, the Japanese were also told to kind of focus fire medics. Again, he isn't hit. And there's also these reports of a Japanese gunner having Desmond in his sights. And yet every time he goes to shoot him, his gun jams. Um, and there's just all these kind of, uh, you know, almost reasons why this guy should have been dead. But he didn't die. You know, he, he didn't even... Uh, technically get shot during this act and because of that you know a lot of people have had their faith uh, kind of reunited and it's also inspired a lot of people who perhaps didn't have faith to believe and i actually myself actually stopped 
and kind of thought about it and everything that that kind of went on here. And it is, uh, you know, it's a very kind of religious movie throughout. Uh, On to the actual uh, war side of the film. So Gibson presents war as kind of this sort of uh, miracle that kind of displays battlefield horrors, really. But the biggest thing is the ability of the soldiers to concentrate during the fighting that he portrays really, really well. So it's not just a, a kind of standard war film. It also shows kind of the, the psychological effects, which I think is, is obviously really, really important. Uh, the fear for one's own survival is supplemented by the shock of, like, obviously ambient violence and uh, basically the horror of seeing everybody else kind of with ghastly wounds and deaths. Uh, and under such circumstances, you kind of come to realise that not only is is Desmond's story like really heroic, but it's also every single soldier who actually manages to uh, kind of function under those conditions. And there's a really, really uh, nice bit of contrast in the film as well, where uh, towards the end of the film, a Japanese commanding officer, uh, they're facing defeat and he commits uh, seppuku, I think it's called, uh, which is the ritual where he stabs himself and then somebody, you know, cuts his head off. And uh, Mel Gibson does this really well. He draws like a clear contrast between the two religions. So both of them have just this kind of unwavering belief in what they're doing is right and that their side is the right way. Um, And I thought that was a really, really, um, you know, nice way to put it. So that he does portray that kind of what the Japanese were were doing is is, is right as well. So all in all, you know, you you can't watch this film and not fail to be inspired. I had heard of the story before I watched it, but after watching this, this is something that, that really interests me. I went online, I kind of researched it all, read all about it. And as I say, it's it's a film that will inspire people for, for years and years to come and, and definitely, um, you know, a story that deserves to be told. Thank you very much for that, Joel. Very good argument there. Alex, as the prosecution, would you like to give me your insight into the film? Yeah, I agree with what Joel said about Desmond Doss. I think he is a hero. I think his story should have been told. I really don't think Mel Gibson should have been the one picked to do it. And I'd kind of respectfully disagree with Desmond Doss Jr. that maybe it was accurate, but I still don't think the film was done very well. It's a film of two halves. You've got the sort of the first half, which is set in this sort of the golden 40s, sort of an ultra-patriotic small-town America uh, not done particularly badly. Um, Andrew Garfield play, play, plays Desmond Doss. I, I actually found him a little bit f- funny at this bit. It was a bit Forrest Gumpy in little bits of this film at the beginning, to be honest. I, 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 what do you mean by Forrest Gumpy? It's just sort of like he's got this sort of uh, goofy grin on a lot of the time and he's sort of very simple and charming, you know, southerner. I don't know, it, it, it didn't. I, I didn't quite connect with the character at that point. Um, and, and I found the first half like a, a little bit boring. So I, I found his story, even though it was a good story, I found the way it was told, not Desmond Doss's story, but just the way it was told, I found a little bit boring at the beginning. Um, and I actually agreed with the army a bit too much. Like it seemed like I was meant to be on Desmond Doss's side, but I actually found myself being a bit like, well, no, I can see why people are saying that he shouldn't be um, in the army. He shouldn't be a combat medic. A, a medic, yeah. But I understood why they wouldn't want someone who didn't want to fire a weapon be on a combat mission basically so i i i feel like the film should have really had me for um desmond doss whereas i felt actually i was a little bit ambivalent on that you know i feel like joel missed out and like a big part of this movie when he was talking about it and this is the ultra violence that comes in in the second half you know joel was saying a bit like you know it's talking about the 
you know, the psychological effects or something like that. The big hit of this movie, and I think the thing that makes people want to go and see it, is it's ultra violent. Like, it's it's unbelievably violent. You know, you're talking about Saving Private Ryan. We'll dial that up ten times. You cannot believe when the action starts, it's so insanely gory and ridiculously violent that actually I feel that even though you've got this story of Desmond Doss, the con- conscientious objector, I thought as a premise it's a fantastic story to tell. And obviously Desmond Doss is a very interesting and brave person. But actually I feel like Mel Gibson um, hijacked it a little bit. And I feel like he used that story. Obviously, I'm not saying he doesn't believe that it's a good story, but he throws in this religious symbolism all the way through it. I feel like it's quite heavy and quite heavy-handed all the way through it. And then he just uses it with this kind of glee, show this ultra-violence. It's it's not that the way the violence is done isn't in a... And I'm not saying you can tastefully do war violence, but it, it crosses the line. So if there's so much violence in this that it becomes less about the horrors. I, I understand that actually what you need to do is you need to have this violence to show that Desmond Doss, Andrew Garfield is, you know, what, what he's coming up against. But there's so many shots, there's so many sustained long periods of people being shot, people, you know, it's just like rats feasting on dead corpses. Uh, you know, the, the action starts where this person sort of, you know, they go in, it's slow. The tension's built quite nicely. It's slow, slow, slow. He sort of puts his hand on what he thinks, you know, a soldier puts his hand on what he thinks is a dead body. And I think you've used it for the caption contest in this. He sort of like jumps up, starts screaming at the camera in almost a comic way, to be honest. And then they go, ah, they scream at each other. Aah! And then these bullets come and, and they just like, it just destroys the bodies. And it's quite effective. But like 15, 20 minutes later, you're just like, this is, doesn't have a point. The point is to just show this sort of like, yeah, look at all this violence. And it feels a little bit like it's lost its way a bit. And actually, instead of being a war film that's showing the horrors of war, it's glorifying the horrors of war. It's, it's, ro- it's relishing them. It's not showing them as something to be avoided. It's something that's kind of like, look at what this gun does. Look at what this does. Look at the explosions. So I, I, I'm not a di- I, I disagree with Joel in the sense of like, I think this is a good uh, story to tell. And I think it was close to, to tell it, but the second half, it just goes massively overboard. It's so OTT with the violence that, that you begin to think, no, this is the point. The point was to show this horrific violence, these limbs flying left, right and centre to get bums on seats. And I, I think the story of Desmond Doss is lost because of that ultraviolence. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to see that both the defence and prosecution are just uh, jumping quickly. I was about to say that, uh, you know, if you had any points, but because you've said that, um, don't make me press the Mel Gibson buzzer, mate. <laughs> Go on. That's reserved for Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> sure. on, Joel, okay, so would you like to argue any of Alex's yeah, points? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I kind of told you why the film was, was originally made was to set the scene a bit, and Alex says that it's ultra-violent, and he is absolutely true, and that's because it was incredibly violent. Like I mentioned, the machine gun fire was that thick that people were cut in half uh, by this stuff. People had their heads decapitated. It was one of the bloodiest battles in World War II. It was worse than uh, D-Day in terms of casualties. Uh, there are reports of um, men who wade through blood, which is 200, 300 foot in terms of they're just walking through blood. It sounds like you know something out of a horror film, something out of a nightmare. Uh, but this was uh, completely true. It was not really uh, something which had been uh, seen before. And again, as I mentioned, the Japanese had been there for years. They had the whole thing mapped out. 
and they actually did this thing, which they do show in the film as well, where they actually let the Allies take the ridge. And then it, it was, I think in the film they do it at sunrise, but um, it, in real life they did it at sunset. And then they just push them off. They just kind of run at the Allies. Like I think one of them says they don't care if they live or die. And that's exactly how it was. There was about kind of thousands of Japanese just rushing you know, at, at the Allied soldiers and tons and tons and tons and tons of them died. And that's why I made the, the point as well to say, you know, out of 30-something men that go up in terms of a squad, only three or four of them come back. So although, yes, it is ultra-violent, that is completely because because it was, basically. Okay, thank you very much for that, Joel. Um, so I'm going to move over to the character witnesses now. The only thing I really want to ask both of you, and the thing that that both Joel and Alex, I think, massively disagree on here is the violence in the film. Now, Joel says that it's very effective and it, you know, perfectly encapsulates the psychological horrors of war. Alex says that it's just too much. It's, in some instances, violence for no real point and that the story actually suffers because of this. So, firstly, Captain Dave, do you agree with either Alex or Joel on this one? Um, well, I think they both acknowledge that it is a very violent film. I mean, Mel Gibson does not shy away from depicting violence, and this is terrific to watch. But I think I'm, I'm leaning towards Joel because I do think there is a purpose to the violence. And I do think it, it benefits the story of Desmond Doss because the, the overriding story of Desmond Doss is one of courage. You know, he, he went up there without weapons, without anything to defend himself with and saved lives. You know, he's a very brave man. You know, it's, can't understate that. And I think to really appreciate how brave he was, you've got to see the horrors he was up against. You've got to see this horrific violence and, and it's really got to be so in your face that you're thinking, God, what would I do in that situation? And there's, there's no way of imagining it really, but just to see the horror, the genuine horror of war and see how bravely he reacted to it and how noble he was, I think it really does benefit his story rather than detract from it personally. Okay, thank you very much for that, Dave. Austin, would you agree? Um, yeah, I'm really sorry to Brucey, but I, I'd have to agree as well, though, that it was, um, I mean, it was it was relentless. It's, um, I've, I don't think I've seen many Mel Gibson movies, but um, based on this, that alone, I would say he's not one for uh, subtlety. It was, um, <laughs> I would it say was in your face um, from, you know, from the off. So the way you, you, you say that, that makes me believe that it wasn't portrayed well. Uh, no, no, I think it's, it's, it's violent it's, it's vicious. very effective yeah. yeah i think so yeah it made me it, it, it was immersive okay yeah. and that, i suppose you know that's that's yeah. a very positive thing as well yeah. um okay alex i'm gonna move on to you for your second point if that's okay oh hang on hang no, on no no I'm, I'm gonna no second point but i'm sort of gonna follow on from what dave and ozzy were sort of just talking about yeah like, no problem at all um, don't, don't make enemies of it <laughs> <laughs> i feel like this has gone well so far but it's normally, this, it's normally the second point where it all gets a bit messy isn't it so we'll, we'll see how it goes okay um you know, like Ozzy's right, it's, Mel Gibson doesn't do subtlety very well. It's very broad strokes in, in most of his films and, and in, in his film as well. I, I, did, I do agree that um, you do need to show the horrors of war. I just think that sometimes there's a bit more of a nuance, there's a bit more of a sophisticated way of showing the horrors of war that other films, Paths of Glory, for example, achieved many years ago without ultraviolence. And I think actually when you use too much ultraviolence, there's a point when you slip from finding the horrors of war and you become a little bit of a voyeur and you're kind of watching these horrors of war and not really, but after the amount of explosions and limbs blowing off, it's very difficult because there's so much to maintain that horror of war because you almost become a little bit... Um, 
used to it, you become a little bit less susceptible to it. It's less effective by the end, which really should not be the case in a war film. I, 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 I'm i just going to say, maybe this is a bit unfair in it. I don't think this is a good war film. I think a good war film, and this might, this is probably just me, uh, shows both sides of a conflict. It shows that war isn't, uh, is an evil, and it shows that both sides are human, and that actually war is a terrible thing. And I think this is just so unsubtle, it's so sort of one-sided, that that's what I really don't like about Hacksaw Ridge. I really don't like the way the Japanese are portrayed in this film. I, I, it's not of this is you know many years after the conflict when actually it, it's it maybe could be time to look at both sides. I could see if this film had come out a few years after the Second World War, it would make more sense. At this point, there needs to be a bit more nuance when we're talking about the enemies that we were fighting in, in the Second World War. I don't, I can't imagine this film was shown in Japan. I would, I can't imagine what the reaction would have been from the Japanese. They're called terrible things. And I know this is what they were called during the things, but there's no, there's no, there's nothing to disprove this. They're called animals. They're called the racist slurs all the way through. They said they target uh, wounded. They say they're sneaky. They're scary all the way of, of, all the way through it. I know this is what the GIs would have. Um, thought what they would have what, what, what they would have found but actually we need to see in the film that this isn't the case and that's never shown it, it's almost like this is kind of a sci-fi film by the end when you have these this enemy it's almost like you could almost th- see the japanese as some sort of like just these alien monsters and by the end when they sort of you know ride up the ridge and you see the flamethrowers going through and you see the whole tunnels and just massive swathes of japanese um soldiers being killed and the, the film does not think to show that these are humans it's like they are animals actually that the way they're the, the way they're being killed that there's no point in the at all when you see a, a japanese soldier show any humanity at all and and these were humans you know i know they were the enemy when they were fighting them but come on this is so many decades later let's like mel gibson get over it like it, the, the you know the best war films show that both sides had humans on it and it, to, to, to just do this lack of nuance i i found i i think that's what's a little unforgivable uh about this film there's also there's a fair bit of um you know i know the drill sergeants but i feel like again mel uses it to throw in a few racial slurs which i wasn't actually very comfortable with like the drill sergeant vince vaughn <laughs> sorry the script writers <laughs> threw in uh I, I, I just felt that was a little bit of a sneaky way to throw in things about native americans and and, and italians but but just generally i i think the best um yeah like, like i said i just think the best war films show that war is an evil for both sides this film just has a bit of an agenda like i was saying before it it, it just wants to put religious symbolism in i you know joel said before um you know it shows the both sides when the when the um Japanese is uh, committing seppuku. I don't think it did at all. I just I think it showed them as aliens, and I think it showed them as the enemy. And I I really didn't like that part of it. And I don't think it would have been much to have put that in the film and make it just an, a, a bit more of an a, an adult film. I think an adult look at war. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Very good points, uh, Joel. How would you like to counter that? What's your opinion about the cast and characters? Um, well, I mean, what Alex says, although he's entitled to opinion, it's just completely wrong, unfortunately. Um, like the horrors, the horrors of war and um, all the, all the violence, 
just completely what Dave said before, if you tone that down, then you aren't telling the true story. If you take away some of that violence, like I mentioned, uh, the amount of casualties, all the blood, all the horrific kind of disembowelment, that type of thing. If you take that out of it, it's not, it's not the story. What you're making there is, is an act of fiction. And like Alex says about both sides, the Japanese, well, the Japanese were hated. If, say, if, if that was us back then, obviously we can't really imagine it. But if you'd seen all your friends killed, like, one by one, you'd been at war for ages, you don't sleep. Uh, the Japanese are kind of constantly relentless, and they were thought of as much more ferocious as, as the Germans in, in kind of the, the European theatre. If, if that was you, like, and the, the actual miniseries, The Pacific, does this really well. It shows uh, the main character, Eugene. He starts off, he's like a really religious... Uh, kind of caring person and by the end of it he's just lost all empathy and kind of almost lost his soul in a way uh, to the point where he he hates the Japanese he calls them all the, like the racist slurs under the sun and I think that is something which has to be thought about as well kind of but all, all, all I'm trying to do is is make the point that if we if we uh, kind of edit the story and make the, the Japanese more more human than perhaps uh, they were seeming then then it's not the same story. Um, you know, this is, is from the American point of view. It's from uh, the, uh, you know, kind of retellings of the American soldiers who were there and Desmond's, you know, point of view who was there. Uh, Alex, yeah, I can see your edge to say can something. I just jump in? I, I think there's a stereotype that came from the Second World War about the Japanese, that they were like, you know, suicidal, uh, ruthless and uh, crazy, right? And obviously that's, it's not the case because they, they were human beings. You know, I know, I know there were kamikaze things, I know there were things, but it's not the case because they're human beings. That's, you know, from the American side of looking at it. And this film just completely um, backs up those stereotypes, basically, of the Japanese without doing any more to look a little bit deeper. Mm. But uh, my argument to that is, it's not a Japanese story. Say if this was a Japanese story and you were telling it about their fight against the American soldiers, their point of view against the Americans would be that. And you can't have an American story about an American soldier and kind of empathize with the Japanese because it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I I think you can. I I would say I wouldn't want a Japanese or an American. I'd want a human story where you see both, you know, you're not looking at it from either side. It's not so black and white where, you know, these guys, guys, guys like I said, that would be an act of fiction. If you were making a war film from scratch, then fair enough, go with that. But if you are retelling somebody's story, you can't tell it from both sides. You tell it from this guy's side, and that's exactly how this film does it. Uh, but in terms of the the actors and performances, like this is a, a largely Australian cast, and they did that uh, to kind of basically get um, some uh, you know royalties and things like that from Australia, which is how the film was made. But Andrew Garfield, I thought, was was absolutely brilliant, and I think it was perhaps a brave decision. Uh, to cast him off the back of kind of the the Spider-Man film failures, although he wasn't bad in the film, you know, he wasn't great either. And he actually noted himself that he was more inspired playing a real-life superhero uh, and actually being admitted to being so moved by the story that he was in tears during, you know, his first read-through of the script. And that really comes across in his performances. It's really full of passion and I would probably say the best of his career to date. Uh, just want to mention his father as well, Hugo Weaving. Uh, he plays Tom um, Doss's father, and again, he's absolutely brilliant. 
And this touches also on the horrors of war. He came back from, from World War I and he basically wasn't the same. And that's something that's, that's always said of war. You know, even the survivors don't really survive. They, they have a piece of them uh, that's kind of left out there. And, and he portrays that really, really well. He's kind of like a broken man. Uh, Sam Worthington does like an honourable job. Vince Vaughn is probably the strangest one, really. He's kind of the odd one out. Uh, he doesn't really do a great job and he was a bit of a strange choice. But what I will say is if you go on historyvershollywood.com, which is a great site, it kind of debunks all the uh, kind of historical movies and shows them against accuracy and things like that. There's pictures of the real life characters against the the actors and actresses. And what they basically did is try and get people who looked the same. And they do look the same. So it, it wasn't just a case of, oh, we're going to cast these people. Uh, they tried to go with real kind of authenticity here and real like real likeness. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a, a really, really, um, you know, nice kind of touch, which just added to the to the film overall. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, Alex, anything else to add there? No, no. no? Right, so uh, guys, I'm going to ask you as the character witnesses, I don't so much want to hear about cast or characters because I think um, I think Joel's been quite clear with his views on the actors there and I think Alex has as well. I, I do actually want to hear a little bit more about your opinions of general characters, so the characterization of like soldiers there maybe and is it a little bit on the nose? Is it is it too much stereotypical or does Mel Gibson kind of balance it out? Is it too much focus on one or the other? Uh, Austin? Point, I'll go first. Um, I don't know. I mean, in some ways it was very stereotypical, but um, I think I was expecting that already. You know, um, you sort of led down that path from the off. So, you know, even before you get to the to the soldiers, people feel stereotypical, like a hick town. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, very religious family. Um, so yeah, they are, you know, they are stereotypical and a lot of those soldier characters are pretty one-dimensional um, for me. So, I mean, I guess in that, in that sense, I'd be more in an Alex camp for that. But um, but on the flip side, that's kind of what it was. It, it didn't shock me that that was the case. It didn't upset me that that was the case either. That's okay. what I was expecting. So, And, and uh, Captain Dave... Um, I think I'm a little more with Joel on this one. Um, I see where Alex is coming from. I really do. His point is valid, but it, like Austin said, it wasn't unexpected. And I do think, you know, if there is a, there is some humanity to the Japanese soldiers. There are some interactions of humanity with the, the seppuku bit at the end where the officer in charge of the Hacksaw Ridge, uh, commits suicide. The soldier that's assisting him with that, obviously, as he stabs himself, a soldier has to take his head off, is in tears. You know, he's clearly upset about, you know, his commanding officer going out that way. The commanding officer himself holds himself with a very quiet dignity on the way out. There's this bit where Desmond Doss runs into a wounded Japanese soldier in the tunnels as he's trying to escape. And... and basically yeah, he, yeah, they run into each other and there's this moment of fear where they both like grab each other neither have weapons they both kind of grab hold of each other and Desmond Doss puts a bandage on his wound and the Japanese soldier understands either they don't speak the same language but he understands that he's trying to help him and permits him to do so lets him do so there's no more violence about that Alex wants to say something that, that, that's more just to show that the Americans are better than the Japanese I found that bit but, the Jap- it, it, hang on hang on just let me finish it the Japanese guy's wounded and you know he, Desmond Doss he expects Desmond Doss to kill him and it's more it's all it's almost like we're better than that Japanese you know we wouldn't do that to you you kill wounded but we don't we, we, you but know, see you're taking issue with 
and a story, a real story. It, it's like you think this is a fictional no, film. No, I'm not. And you're no, and you're picking it, at it. it. This it, is something that happened, and you're saying the film saying this. No, but I'm, it, I'm not. It, it's a real. Because, life I think thing. Alex, it's the way it's the way it's shown. Is is that you can have a story, and yeah, the, the events can be true, but the way you show it in a film is that you can do it in a very varied ways, and you can show the Japanese as humans whilst sticking to the events of a story. I don't think there is much of a case of the Americans being better than the Japanese, though, because there was that moment where uh, the soldier has come to tell Sam Worthington that uh, the, his men are being sent down the ridge. And he says, yeah, someone's up there lowering men down. He even sent down a couple of Japanese soldiers. Uh, they didn't make it. We're under no illusion why they didn't make it. It wasn't their injuries were more that, severe. That, that's a one bit. and it's I'm, not, just, I'm just saying it is in there. Yeah, but it's not a nuanced look at the Japanese soldiers, Dave, would you say? Um, well, it's not a Japanese film. I, yeah, I, I sort of see where Alex is coming from, to be honest. And I do agree that that there should be a more nuanced way. I don't think you can kind of just get one blanket description of a Japanese person uh, or a Japanese soldier from that. And not, not to say that like the, it wasn't accurate and, you know, the the stories that they were told from DOS and, you know, the people in in his um, regiment might not have been the case, you know, like that they might have said, oh yeah, everyone was like this. But I do think it's sort of like a blanket description that they've used for everyone. But like, I think we should move on from that point now, right? And, I think you've both given very, very good arguments, but I would like to have quick closing statements. So you've both got a minute. And Joel, as the defense, are you are you ready? Would you like to go first? Um, yep. So starting from now. So Hacksaw Ridge uses a real-life pacifist legacy to lay the groundwork for a gripping wartime tribute to faith and valor and the courage of remaining true to, one con- to one's conviction. It's a real-life story. Many people can take inspiration from it. It will make you want to go and research the topic, research the war, and basically go ahead in life and kind of uh, treat people as you know Desmond did, and that is to put everybody else before yourself. So it's definitely worth a watch, and it's definitely a movie which will uh, last. Sorry, last the test of time. Okay, thank you very much, Joel. Alex, as the prosecution, your minute begins now. Uh, the story of Desmond Doss is an inspiring one, and there are parts of this story that you do find inspiring as you're watching the film. But there are just bits that Mel Gibson puts into the film that I don't think, I think, lessen that message. I think his look at the Japanese is very, very just one-dimensional. I think, I think they're just seen as the enemy. And I know they were in the World War, but actually, no, the Japanese were real people. And just to, sh- to, sh- to show them in this really simplistic, stereotypical way, doesn't really do the story any justice because you, you you find it i think it lessens it a little bit and i found it a little bit but i found the story a little one-dimensional and that does a disservice to this incredible story uh the 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 violence is too much and it, it does for me for me i found it slipped into the voyeuristic rather than the looking at the horrors of war it it, it it's a good story i just wish there'd been a better way of telling it and i feel like there's a couple of agendas being put into this film that shouldn't have been there. Thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's a tough one. Um, so I think so. I need some time to think. So before we do that, I think it's time for a promo from our good friends over in Australia at the IMDB Journey podcast. Hey, you. Yeah, you. What are you doing after you finish this great podcast you're listening to? Well, whatever it is, you're going to blow that off and listen to the IMDb Journey podcast instead, hosted by Daniel, that's me, and Dean, that's me. 
Join us on our journey as we tackle the IMDb Top 250 list, breaking down one movie a week, giving our own rankings as we go, as well as our incredibly intelligent and insightful thoughts too. <laughs> we also throw in a random quiz or movie battle every once in a while and have a punt on it. Because us Aussies, we love a good punt. <gasps> Daniel, this is a G-rated promo. You can't say that. I said punt, Dean. Punt. Uh, you dickhead. So come join us on the journey by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. Okay, thank you very much for that, guys. I would really uh, recommend checking out that show. It is really, really good. And I do still need some more time to think about the verdict, though. So I'm going to pass it over to Dave for a special edition of Quiz Dave. Yeah, oh, thank you very much, Gav. Okay, so this this week's quiz, you may have noticed in this film, for a film about a lot of, about American soldiers, there's a lot of Australians in this cast. Mm. You may have noticed. Um, so basically, I had a look at these Australian actors, and I just thought, you know what? As as goes through my head, whenever I'm looking at any Australian actor, were they ever in Neighbours? Were they ever, <laughs> were they ever in Home and Away? You know, so sure. many so many great Australian actors did get their start out in the in these soaps, uh, which are well known over here, well known in Australia. I don't know if they're big in America. I'm going to say probably not, but still, I, that's basically the theme of this quiz. It's something I like to call Aussie Rules. Mm-hmm. Hey. But, um, oh, yeah. From Ramsey Street to the Sunset Strip, oh. from Summer Bay to West LA, <laughs> that's when good neighbours become half-credible actors. <laughs> I'm going to give you the names of Australian actors, or, well, I may have to explain and clarify on a couple of them, but essentially Australian actors, you've just got to tell me, were they in Home and Away, were they in Neighbours, or were they in Neither? Oh, Some of these were in Neither, and I'm going to give away bonus points to anyone who can say both. Ooh. I'll give you a clue. There are three actors in here who are both. They're in Neighbours and Home and Away. If you, can, if you can get those, you can only use it once. You can only say both once. If you get it right, you get you get an extra three points, I'm going to say. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. You've really thought this through, Dave. I have. I have. Well, I've, I've, I've had a lot to think about. <laughs> way, way better than what I was. <laughs> I know. It's so much better than my quizzes. <laughs> so, first actor up, uh, star of Avatar, Everest, and Hacksaw Ridge, Sam Worthington. Home and Away? Both out the gate. Um, home and away. Uh, Neighbours. He's neither. Oh, <laughs> shit. That's no points for anyone. Remember, neither is an option. He was not in any of them. Okay, we got star of Dark Knight and Brokeback Mountain, the late great Heath Ledger. I'm going to say neither. Neighbours. Mm, home and away. Home and away. Points for Joel and Ozzy. He was in Home and Away. He played Scott Irwin in nine, uh, for nine episodes in 1997. Bullshit. Wow. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> IMDb. <laughs> uh, star of Wedding Crashes and The Great Gatsby, Isla Fisher. Neighbours. Home and Away. Uh, oh, shit. Neighbours. Both. Alex gets a point. Oh, she was in well Home and done. Away. Oh, man, I remember as soon as I said that, I was like, <laughs> fuck, yeah, I remember. Yeah, 345 episodes, to be wow. precise. Wow. Yeah, from 1994 to 1997. I used to watch it then as well. Classic, well, I, classic time. I said, I do have to clarify on some of these. Isla Fisher was uh, born to UK parents in Oman, but she's lived in Australia most of the time. I'm glad you clarified because I was about to pull you off, to yeah, be honest. I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Unbelievable. Do your research, Bob. Yeah. And uh, speaking of someone who was born in New Zealand but has lived in Australia most of his life, Russell Crowe, star of Gladiator, LA Confidential. Both. 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 Neighbours. Ozzy gets a point. (laughs) Well done. Go your own way, Ozzy. He was only in Neighbours. He played Kenny Larkin for four episodes in 1987. 24 as well. Yeah. Star of Elizabeth, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and Thor Ragnarok, Kate Blanchett. (laughs) Well, 
Wow. Back on music. Yeah, those that, guys from IMDb podcast are going to be well pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> That's very topical, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Soaps um, and didgeridoos, just what they need. <laughs> neither. Um, home and away. Uh, neither. Have we had both? Yeah. I'm going both. Oh, no, yeah. I've already done my bow. I've already had it. Sorry. Yeah, you know what? Neighbors. You know what? I'm going to let you guys keep using both. You can keep doing that. But Gavin Joel get a point. Okay. Yeah. Neither. Neither is correct. Okay, we've got Star of Thor and the Avengers, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, uh, um, uh, neighbors. Uh, neighbors. Home and away. Home and away. You all get a point. He, he was a both. You could have had a both for that one. He played uh, Jamie Kane for one episode in 2002 in Neighbours, and in Home and Away, he was Kim Hyde for 189 episodes. Man. Uh, is there so few actors in Australia that, that <laughs> they have to star in both? Well, you they might be surprised it's like when national I national service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to go until you've acted in both. Congratulations. Home and Away and Neighbours. It's got to be one. You get your visa you, you can go to Hollywood Luke, then. Luke Carpenter present you with your certificate of graduation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris's brother, Luke Hemsworth, star of Westworld and Thor Ragnarok as well. Home and away. Both. Uh, what was the one Chris Hemsworth was in loads? He was in both Chris Hemsworth. This but, is Luke Hemsworth. But what was the one he was in for like a hundred episodes? Or Home something? and away. I'll go with that one. Home and away. Neighbours. Ozzy gets a point. He was in Neighbours. Oh, you are fucking... it's, it's funny what you say about... Like a, um, I was going to say it's 50-50, but it's not. It's like... 25, 25, 25, 25. It's not, it's not as catchy, that word. <laughs> it was funny what you say about him not having enough actors, though, because he's actually played two different characters. Oh, really? In Neighbours, yeah, both about six years apart. But were they brothers? Country, <laughs> okay, uh, the third Hemsworth brother, Liam Hemsworth, star of Hunger Games and Expendables 2. Uh, Neighbours. Neither. Neither. Both. Ozzy gets three points, it's oh, both. My, fuck oh, you, Ozzy. Oh, my God. You Australian knobhead. He was in Neighbours for 25 whoa, 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 episodes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy now. Take your white Fredo and... <laughs> well, you just can't be, get over that white Fredo, can I you? may be a knobhead, but my nationality has got nothing to do with it. <laughs> just like to point out that Joel isn't uh, painting all Australians with one brush. Just, just Aussie. Just, just me, just because just my nickname's Aussie. Yeah. Okay, another star of Hacksaw Ridge, Moulin Rouge and Van Helsing, Richard Roxburgh. Both. Neither. Mm, both. Sorry. I forgot you were <laughs> looking at me. And neither. Ozzy and I'll get a point. He was in oh. neither. That's baldy. He's got to stick yeah. together. Okay, come on, guys. You've got to until, get this one. Until we're against each other. <laughs> and then it's every man for himself. Star of Taken, You're Dead bald. or Alive and Prison Break, <laughs> Holly Valance. Neighbours. 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 Uh, neighbours as well. Yeah, everyone got that one right. Holly Vance was in Neighbours, of course yeah. she was. And I need to say no more about that one. Okay, she's my favourite ever character. Flick, what's she called? <laughs> yeah, Felicity Scully. Well done. Well done. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> or shame on <laughs> you. Thank I don't you. know which. Yeah. Yeah. Star of yeah. Amityville Horror and Thirty Days of Night. Melissa George. Um, Holly Home and Away. Home and Away. Neighbours. Home and Away. Neither. Points for Gavin Joel, Home and Away, 466 oh. episodes, to be precise. How many? 466. Fucking hell. I know, I know. Uh, Teresa Palmer, star of Hacksaw Ridge and I Am Number Four. Both. Both. Neither. Home and Away. Points for Joel, neither is correct. Fucking hell. Star of Suicide Squad and Wolf of Wall Street, Margot Robbie. Neither. Home and Away. Neighbours. You say star. <laughs> 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 Bit part. Home and Away. 
Joel gets a point. She Neighbors was in a fucking shitloads, wasn't she? She was in Neighbors. 327 episodes of Neighbors between yeah. 2008 and 2011 playing Donna Friedman. Suicide Can you call yourself Suicide Squad fans? <laughs> <laughs> when they killed off Toadie's wife, I stopped watching it. Then, to be yeah, no, that, that, that was, that was hard. But then they brought her back, didn't they, last year? So. Was she in a car crash? Yeah. Yeah, she that's like, like, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they brought her back last year. All right, wow. They brought everyone back. Yeah, they bring everyone. You never Toadie's die in still in it, you know. Is it? Toadie's same, never left. Same character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Toadie's never left. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he's on his seventh character by now. It's just the same idea. Yeah, he's, he's on Toad C right now. <laughs> <laughs> Almost to the end now. We've got Star of Hacksaw Ridge, The Matrix, and Lord of the Rings trilogy, Hugo Weaving. Neither. Neither. Home and away. Uh, neighbours. Points for Gav and Alex, he was in neither, although his niece, Samara Weaving, was in Home and Away. Anyway, go on. Okay. Born in the UK, the UK parents, but lived in Australia since she was about six. Naomi Watts, star of The Ring, Mulholland Drive. Home and Away? Neighbours. Home and Away. Both. I'll give points to Gav, Joel, and Ozzy for that one. Home and Away is correct. She was in 19 episodes. Why do I get a point? I said both. Uh, well, you said, you said both. You said she Actually, was in no, Neighbours as no, well. No, you're right. I can't, I can't give Ozzy a point for that one. Can't give us your point for that. By your own Why rules. the fuck can't I have a point? <laughs> Don't take it back now. <laughs> and finally, star of LA Confidential, Memento, and Prometheus, Guy Pierce. Um, uh, home and away. Home and away. Neither. Uh, Neighbours. Uh, points for Gav, Ozzy, and Alex. He was in both. Oh, okay. I said there were three actors and him being the last one, you should have realised he only had two so far. We'd all shouted both so many times. <laughs> it's like, I don't know whether we had it or not. He was in Neighbours for 496 episodes and Home and Away for 12. Okay, wow. I think, due to his correctly using both, Ozzy has <laughs> won the, the quiz. He's I'm not winning, Ozzy. Fuck you all. I see you can take a feather on your way out. Nice, the melted Freddo. But not one of those white ones. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, right, so thank you very much, guys. On to the final verdict here. Um, so, now this has been a very, very difficult one, to be honest. Really difficult. I, I, I agree with a lot of what Joel and what Alex say as well, to be honest. Um, Joel, when he was talking about the guy's story and being a, a hero and being so brave... And it just needed to be told. I think that that's true. Um, I also think that, you know, they showed this film to the guy's son. So Alex, your point about Andrew Garfield being a bit Forrest Gumpy. uh, I mean, that's even a real phrase. uh, Maybe that might be a bit off because if they showed it to the guy's son, if it wasn't believable, he probably would have said, you know, yeah, my dad wasn't like that. Um, I also think as well that... I, I agree with uh, with Alex massively, to be honest, about the generalization of Japanese soldiers and, you know, the kind of, the, 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 just the stereotype that's perpetuated throughout it. I, I do also agree with Joel, though, however, when we're saying it's a story told from the American side, and I'm not saying that it's right, because I, I, I don't agree with that. I do think that it should be a bit nuanced, and I do think it's too easy to be like, us good guys, them bad guys, because as you said, that's like a, a generic sort of war film that between like the 50s and 70s you know, that just came out. You know, there's no sort of nuance, there's no grey areas, it's just good and bad. And I think in 2017, it, that shouldn't be the case. I think storytelling has advanced a hell of a lot, and I think that maybe somebody with a better eye i think somebody maybe a better director more experienced director would have done it differently and i think maybe it should have gone to a different director and i think maybe a different director would have told it a lot better um but i do think that um joel is 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 right when he was saying that 
it's it's a genuine experience. So when you were talking about the ultra violence and you were saying it's a bit too much, as you know, it, it might be the case for you, and it might be the case for a lot of other people as well, where they're watching it where it's just a bit too over the top. I think Joel said that you know they showed it to this guy, they've showed it to other members of people's families. I assume they've probably agreed that that is how it was, and they didn't want to dilute it and they wanted to tell it as genuinely as possible. And I think this does sound like a genuine story that's been told from the American side at least when we're talking about everybody that was involved in the film all of the characters probably not you know there's probably mass generalizations there of Japanese soldiers but for the regards to the with regards to the Americans that were there then probably that is their experience and you know at the time when they were there they probably didn't see nuance either they probably just saw it as black and white and now this day and age the story probably shouldn't be told like that I think from their perspective and being told from their story, it was probably done effectively. Um, So with that in mind, I'm probably going to place it on the hit list. So thank you very much, Joel. So, uh, yeah, that was really, really difficult, guys. Really, really difficult. Um, um, So can we get some genuine opinions? Joel, I take it you really agree with everything you said because you asked for this to get put on trial? Yeah, like I say, it did inspire me to find more, not only about the man, but, um, you know, kind of that side of the war. And the point which I was trying to kind of get across when speaking about the Japanese was um, kind of shown from the point of view from from Desmond and from kind of eyewitness accounts from, you know, from that battle. And I think to uh, kind of further delve into maybe the Japanese psyche in terms of that story would have been possibly you know, to dishonor that guy's memory because it's not about the Japanese and it's not about their kind of mentality in that war. It's essentially his story. So, um, you know, I do think it's definitely worth watching. And if you do have kind of any, uh, you know, a passion for history or anything like that, I think it, it, it's, some, you know, a story that everybody should hear. Okay, Alex? Uh, you know, I agreed with most of what I said. No, in fact, all of what I said. <laughs> I, I agree with everything. Uh, I, I don't think you would have diluted the story. I don't think you could have still seen it from the American perspective without really perpetuating stereotypes about the Japanese in the Second World War. On uh, on that point, like so after watching um, Greatest Showman, I think maybe it's along those lines. The Greatest Showman, you know, he's called The Greatest Showman. It's about, um, you know, it's about that guy. Yeah. And it's been made to big him up as that guy whereas this is about uh this guy and it's been made to make his story better so another film about the same battle no, could easily have been done but more it, it, if, you know, it, if it explicitly said like this is how the japanese were seen by the americans but i don't think it is i think it's just portraying japanese people uh, as that and then I mean, it could you know be I, I don't i don't think i don't think it's i don't if it was made said like oh yeah we think they are but you yeah, saw yeah. some other aspects to them but you never do you see only the negative aspects of japanese mm, okay. it's already quite a long film though isn't it mm. you start delving into all that as well to make a, a nuanced I don't, film i don't think you'd have to do much just certain mm. shots maybe just certain you know Talking about long, uh, this podcast <laughs> episode is getting cool. on a bit. I'm so going to trim what you talked about. <laughs> 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 We're try and start wrapping things up here. Firstly, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, The Greatest Showman, which, before you have a go at me, was 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Higher or lower, mm-hmm. Alex? This film is very well liked. I'm going to say higher. I'm going to say low eights. Joel? Yeah, probably low eights. I'm going to say lower. Oh, I'm going to say higher. Okay, well, Alex, you're sort of on the nose there. 8.2 out of 10. And uh, just before we close things off, 
I think we're going to have a little caption contest. So basically, each week I take a screenshot of the film and I put it on Twitter and I ask all of our friends and followers to provide a caption. So this week, uh, the screenshot I've taken is the moment that Alex, you were talking about. I think somebody stood on a rat or something and they kind of scream it out. As if to say, ah. Stood on a rat. No. <laughs> All the <laughs> stuff going on, and he's like, fuck, I've stood on a rat. Oh my god, a rat! <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> what happened in the film? He, he's, pretend, he's unconscious, and then someone wakes him up, and he, turn, he wakes up screaming because he's so shell shocked. Oh, right, okay. Okay. Uh, so, so that moment, anyway, and it's the moment that he's screaming. So, I've asked all of our friends and followers to provide captions. All you guys have got to do is decide which one is the best, and they will win a Freddo. Nice chocolatey frog-shaped treat there. So first up, honeycomb, honeycomb, me wants honeycomb. I don't know what that is a reference to, I'm sorry. Uh, is it because he looks a bit like a honey monster? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Now, now you say it. <laughs> now, now you say that, yes. Okay, what about the moment when Joe realises he dropped his car keys somewhere in the woods? <laughs> uh, next one, when you step barefoot onto that stray Lego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this reminds me of the expression on the face of that girl when they find her in the closet in the ring uh, uh, the next one when you accidentally see your mother-in-law naked for the first time and you're suspicious same guy from last week no, for no, the first time no, he hasn't finished and your suspicions that she's the devil are confirmed <laughs> That's definitely the guy who was talking about his mother-in-law in the, uh, in the Incredibles. Oh, my word. Uh, no, I know the first time as well. I've got to ask Go Postal Podcast, how many times have you seen your mother-in-law <laughs> naked? Okay, uh, moving on. Jimmy realised that storing the hacksaw down the back of his pants was a bad idea. <laughs> Far too late. Uh, next one, stay woke. Um, the next one, wait, honey, what is pegging? Ah! Oh wow! Jesus! Wow! wow. What, what is pegging? What is pegging? Will you tell uh, us off air? Yeah, I'll tell you off air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about Oklahoma, where the wind? You know, that up. But anyway, uh, remember me, Eddie? When I killed your brother, I talked just <laughs> like this. <laughs> okay, I like that one. <laughs> uh, never trust a fart. <laughs> and uh, never mind that shit here comes mongo <laughs> sorry that's a wrestling related <laughs> never mind that shit here comes mongo <laughs> i wondered why nobody else laughed but yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what do you guys reckon? Uh, straight Lego for me. Lego, 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 Lego. Lego. I like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit reference, but yeah, Lego. Yeah, Let's okay, Lego. Lego. Okay, so congratulations to our good friends and fellow podcasters, the IMDb Journey Podcast. Oh, they can't have it. They've got a fucking <laughs> promo. We've been Australian for most of the episode, <laughs> and they've just won a Fredo. Hopefully, they skip yeah. this episode. I was going to say Gav did play didgeridoo music throughout oh, okay, my yeah, quiz. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, that's Let's make it up to him a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well well done, guys. Congratulations. Hopefully you can stockpile it with your white Freddos. I'll send them the best possible Freddo-related thing I can find. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That'll be a A picture of a Freddo. Freddo Freddo A picture of us eating Freddos. (laughs) Okay, so thank you very much for that. Just to say that while this episode has been underway, we have picked the next film out of the hat at random to be reviewed. And it is a film that's been suggested by one of our listeners and friends, Craig Harris and it is The Machinist. So we've pulled all of the roles out of the hat at random and in the role of the defence is going to be Captain Dave. In the role of prosecution is going to be 
Austin in the role of judge is going to be Joel and in the role of character witness is going to be me because unfortunately Alex you're not going to be here next week I'm not I know or the week after that or the week after maybe don't come in after (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how well we do first right so uh, just to say thank you very much to everybody who has listened to this episode and to all of our past episodes you can catch all of our future content on any podcast platform or on our website filmsontrial.co.uk why not check us out on twitter at film trials suggest to us a film that you would like to put us on trial and we will put it in the hat and while you're there why not check out our good friends and collaborators austin ray and winston sang at aussie ray and at the underscore quirks that's obviously our music producer and our graphic designer slash artist respectively there also why not check us out on all the other social media platforms facebook youtube and instagram so hacksaw ridge has just ended up on the hit list you've been listening i suppose we'll be in your ears next week <laughs> with the, uh, the machinist and apologies once again to any australians <laughs> goodbye <laughs>